Only Stu, episode three, ready to roll, ready to roll, ready to roll. How you feeling, Alex? Frustrated. Let's go. <laughs> um, we had a great time in Manhattan Saturday night, opening for Joey Diaz at the Sony Theater, which I looked up at their Wikipedia page, which originally was the Paramount Hotel, it was uh, opened in 1938. And 1979, it was the Broadway Theater, uh, because it started off at a, as a Broadway theater, and then little shows were playing there before it became a comedy show place also, which they still have little concerts. But uh, On Golden Pond was there. Uh, that play was a big hit. And uh, everyone remembers the movie On Golden Pond, Jane Fonda, Henry Fonda, daughter, father, and they played that in the movie, and then he eventually died. That was his last movie that he did, so it was at that theater. So we get to this theater. First of all, it was almost three hours in traffic to get there. We were jammed up. The city was rocking. It was Saturday night, and there was tens of thousands of people everywhere, and bumper to bumper traffic uh, getting in, and bumper to bumper traffic once we got to Manhattan, once we got to the actual theater. So No, no, the, no. We, we get out on the wrong side of the road. Yes. Well, we got out on, the, out on the wrong side of the road. So we eventually found the theater. And the original, it's called the Sony Theater right now, but it's original Paramount Hotel. The concert area, which it holds 500 sitting and 1,000 standing, is in the basement. Literally in the basement. We have to go down like, Alex, how, how long? Did Alex said he thought he was going to be. Was it felt like one of those mob movies where <laughs> you're the guy and you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, that's just where it ends. You had to go down, like, literally, it felt like four floors. It was like 12 floors of stairs go down, 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 down into this little room. And the only thing good about the rooms is there was a ton of bathrooms. So bathrooms are everywhere. And they had very modest food. And then uh, people just came in, and I met the comedians that were there that were going to play before Joey. I think there was, like, five people there, then some... Other people came, the people that represent him in California with his weed and New Jersey, the legal weed that he sells. And they were there and they had all sorts of stuff they were giving out and shirts and bags. It was very, very cool. And everybody was very, very friendly. And we were there like a half hour, maybe 40 minutes before Joey got there. Then Joey got there and he laid out what comedian is going to go first and how many minutes they were going to do. And the other comedians prior to Joey getting there said, that's how he always does his shows. Nothing is locked in in advance. He gets there. He wants everybody there. He says hello to everyone. And uh, then he dishes out who's going to go first and for how much. So I think there were three comedians in front of me. Then I came on and I just basically spoke about how um, the way I heard about Joey Diaz, because I didn't remember that he worked for me until 1990, until we got back together and we spoke. He was talking about A.J. Benza. And A.J. Benza has a podcast and did a lot of things with polka. And he was the gossip columnist for the Daily News in the 90s. And he was very, very hot, very good looking, got into movies, got into one of the Rockies. And he did some other movies, too. He did good for himself. And the podcast uh, has still done well right now. So he's uh, him and Joey are talking. And Joey tells a story about how he worked for me and how I called in on the phone to the office, because he, excuse me, he worked for my office in Colorado, and how I threatened his life, because he was snorting coke on the desk, and 
fucking my secretary. Literally. Joey Diaz. This is after he got out of jail. He explains how he's like, he's like, Jew this, Jew that. Because I'm really, I'm saying I'm going to come down to New York. I'm going to, you know, I'm coming down from New York. I'm going to absolutely smash his face. And I said, you can't, we run a great business. You know, blah, blah. And I don't even think he was good, to be honest with you. I just don't think he was good. I don't remember him. He didn't write any money. You know, did he grind out? Yeah. But I'm sure he was either there just to party or just, you know, got out of jail, needed some sort of job, and that was the job for him. And then he hooked up with a comedy situation where he eventually left me and started doing comedy. So he talks about how my training was very, very integral to help his career in the movie business and also uh, comedy. So when we rehooked up where he has a very, very big pod podcast that everybody knows about, and he had me on the podcast and unbeknownst to me, he just says all this to me. He says, listen, you don't realize how valuable you were to me. You don't realize what you taught me, the confidence you gave me. I was never overmatched. I was never scared. I could deal with any objection, anytime, anywhere. And that's similar to how comedy is. He compared comedy to how I taught him to sell a customer on the phone. It would be rebuttal, rebuttal, rebuttal. And you say this and you say this and you say this and you, and you let the customer talk for a little bit and then you close. And he said that's similar to comedy where you tell a story and even if it doesn't work, even if it bombs, even if the room it, even if it bombs for the room you're in, you could play off of it because it would be like rebuttals. And he really was very, very nice to me. It was amazing. It was that. It made me feel super, super good. And he said even when he went against all the best comedians that he was never overmatched. So that was very, very exciting. And then we formed the relationship, formed the friendship. And then he said, listen, I'm doing five shows on Broadway. I want you to introduce me and I want you to do some comedy. And then I explained to him also that I wanted to be a comic my whole life. And I said, my dream is always to do Westbury Music Fair, which I think is called like the Nikon Theater or something right now. It holds 3,500 people in the round. And he says, he'll do it with me. So we're going to be doing that show in June. So anyway, I come on, I kill it. It was pretty easy because again, there's no pressure on me at all. They're not paying to see me. Maybe 80% of the crowd doesn't even know who the fuck I am and may never see me again. Or maybe, you know, they do have seen me with... Uh, Barstool Sports Advisors are in the past with, you know, knowing my story with two for the money. But I would, you know, but there was no pressure on me, really. It was, the only uh, pressure was unfamiliarity with actually doing it. I never did it before. So the first time you do anything, you're going to be a little scared. So I went on, grabbed the mic and, uh, you know, just told a story and told basically how I met him and how he uh, threatened me on the podcast, how I threatened him, how he, you know, worked for me, snorting coke at the desk trying to fuck secretaries, fucking secretaries, blah, 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 blah. And then left me and became a comedian and then spoke highly of me of how I helped him uh, do his comedy and have confidence to do movies. So that's our relationship. And it was really excellent watching, like to meet the comedians. It's, it's like, it's like Alex. I don't know. That's a very tough life. Could you imagine doing that for a living every single night? Oh, it's definitely a grind. It's legitimately a grind because Behind stages, bare bones. You know, it isn't like you're in a Atlantic City VIP area. You know, it's as if you're in like the basement uh, with bathrooms and couches. That's it. You know, that's it. You know, you're, you're eating basic food and really everybody's concentrated. Because think about it. These comedians only have 10, 15 minutes. That is it. That is it. And 
you that's you got to just make your you got to just have your material down pat very crisp very clear you cannot hesitate and really you have to really it has to be practiced where I was going to practice, but I just couldn't get it together because I didn't. I wanted to feel it. Now I I understand how it has to be practiced because you have to. You you don't have a lot of times. So you have to take. You know, like for example, if you had forty five minutes, if you had an hour, if you had two hours, you would headline. Yeah, fuck yeah, you got plenty of time. But you know, I got 10, 15 minutes, or these comedians only had 10, 15 minutes, and that was it. So in other words, it's. 15, it goes very, very fast, legit fast, you know? So you got to be bang, 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 bang. And what really impressed me is Joey told maybe about 20 stories and didn't end any of them. You know, it was just like he told a three-quarter story and then restarted another story. And he just gave just examples of things that he founded super funny. Some during the pandemic, some during his life, some during uh, cocaine and just his reactions and his take on things really went well. And now obviously this crowd loved him. 550 people there. Place was sold out. And it was some tiny standing room in the back. And uh, they gave you like tables. I mean, it was like, I guess each table fit maybe four to six people. And it was like a ton of tables all over the place. And everybody just had a great, great time. And Joey was great. And I definitely could do it again. And I can't wait. I think my next show is uh, Saturday, October 8th. And then a month from that, and then it's a month after that, then I think it's like November 23rd, then it's like December 28th, and then it's like January 28th. So those are the days. And I'm looking forward to that. So the next four, I'll be better. I'll have, and I'm not going to repeat anything I just did, which most people do, the exact same routine for 10 fucking years, and that's it. Because they know it works, but if you heard it before, you know, whatever. So I'm going to try to be, I'm going to go brand new, clean material. I'm going to have practice material that I'm gonna practice, that I'm gonna work on every day, so I'll have it down pat, it'll be crisp and clear. When's the next show out? October 8th. Okay, so I think, exactly, I think I memorized all of them right. So it's October 8th, November 23rd, uh, December 28th, and then I think like, and I think January 28th. So those are the shows I'll be opening, I'll be doing 10, 15 minutes, uh, and then introducing Joey. And then the other comedians are very good because they're very they're professionals. You know what I mean? They travel all over with him, and then that was it. But it just seemed like 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 it's it's not what it really shows. It's a very big grind. The competition is insanely fierce. Anybody would take your spot in a second, probably making no money or not even care about money, just for the really exposure and just to you know to do it, you know, to get out there and do it, to practice. So, you know, very hard, very, very hard. Not as easy as I figured it, you know, not as glamorous as I thought it would be. It is as easy as I thought. I really think I could be very good at this, but I have to practice a hundred times more. I have to have everything down pat, everything so it's timed right because, you know, again, you only have 10 minutes. You only got 15 minutes. It's not a lot of time. So I look forward to the next show and that's going to be very, very exciting. And I'm going to go on Joey's podcast this week. When, also, when did you decide you were going to smack the mic? Well, you know what happened? I walked out there and I just wanted to be so loud, so loud. Because first of all, I was nervous how I should hold the mic. Because I, I figured I'm short. So wherever the mic was and the mic stand was, it was going to be too tall for me. So I didn't want to start trying to make that work for me. So I thought, let me just grab the mic. And they said I could grab the mic and walk around. And then on the wall, they had Kevin James doing like, a character of, you know, a satire on how to hold a mic. 
So we had like 10 pictures on this like thing, like, as if it was a fire, you know, as if, if it was a fire hydrant or what to do in an emergency if there was a fire. You know, so he had like 10 pictures of how not to hold the mic. And then he had one picture in the middle of how to hold the mic. So I was, so I was like, with my bag, I was practicing, or with my photograph, they can believe it was a mic. No, with the water, with my Poland Springs water, because you had my bag, you had my phone. And uh, then I had that down pat, and then I figured, let me just go on and make a, you know, just scream. And I thought that I wouldn't even need the mic the whole show, because the room is big, but it's 500 people. I probably could scream the whole fucking show. I would never need a mic. I wouldn't need a mic, because I'm just going to scream. So they introduced Stu Finers coming out. And I would say maybe 25% of the crowd probably knew who you were, but Stu walks out there and he takes the mic stand and just slaps it out of, I mean, it went, it went to the other side of the stage and the mic was gone. Like Stu had zero chance to find this mic. If it wasn't for uh, Michael who came out on stage and got you the mic, you would have had no mic. So you practicing no mic would have been how the set would have gone if Mike didn't give you that mic because you had no idea where that went. I, and, I, and to be honest with you, I never, ever thought about ever picking it up and talking to it. He threw it on there. He didn't pick it up. And he scared the shit out of me. All of a sudden, he was behind me. I was like, whoa, what are you doing here? And he was picking up the mic. I almost took the fuck off the stage. I want the mic down. I don't want to, want to use the mic. But then once he put the mic back and in the stand, then I got, like I told you, I got really nervous. I'm like, oh, my God, did I do something super wrong here? Did I break protocol? Did I embarrass people? Did I show I have no respect? I was like, oh, through my head, like all this fucking shit. I would say you're one of the few people that's ever gone on stage and just slapped the mic out of the stage. Yeah. That's usually not the go-to move. But it set, it set the tone. I feel like people weren't ready for that. They were not ready for You didn't that. even know you were going to do that. So exactly. If you, if you don't know your next move, no one does. So no one does. Exactly. Exactly. And there was nothing really planned. So everything. And, and I walked from one side of the stage to the other, which I always like. Old school comedians I used to like. Uh, any any entertainer when he walked the floor, when he walked one side to another, because how would you get to all these people? So I liked doing that, and I walked, not actually looking at the audience at the beginning, with one of my hands like Gestapo behind my back, right, Alex? Yeah, I mean, like I don't have, a, I didn't have the Fitbit calculations, but the <laughs> metrics, you you were on for ten minutes. I would say you walked at least three point five miles, so you were clocking Olympic level pace of pacing. I mean, you must have, I mean, you were doing, it, it, it looked like a four minute mile. I mean, I was walking up and down the stage, but I went all the way to the end of one side and then I went all the way to the like other I, side. I, there was a couple of fat people in the crowd and you made them uncomfortable how many steps you took. <laughs> they were sweating. I mean, like you couldn't see it, but they, they were in trouble. Oh, so funny. Oh, funny. And then uh, the 151530, I spoke about that, and that went over really, very well. That was received well, because a lot of people did, never heard of that. And they never heard of me do it. They didn't know how gutter I was going to go. And then I, you know, I gave them the trick about the pink champagne, buying a cheap bottle of pink champagne, putting it in your mouth, going down on your woman. And then the bubbles would hit the clitoris, stand in that attention, and it would be like, so that went over very well also. And then I just brought Joey on and the place, you know, stood up and clapped. And then it was just nonstop laughter for about 45 minutes. And I got to be honest, Joey, no matter, listen, I, I would say comedians have to deal with failure and move on. I mean, you know, some stuff just doesn't work, but Joey has to be top five most infectious laughs. I mean, like no matter what he says, if he just starts laughing, his laugh alone gets a laugh. So 
it's good to have that in your back pocket because he's funny, but when he's funny and then throws in his laugh, genuinely making himself belly laugh, just kills the crowd. So that went over well. Yeah, he's good. He's a pro. He knew it. Like, he'd tell a joke and then he'd go, ha, 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 But in person, be honest with you, I mean, obviously he's, you know, maybe 100 pounds overweight. He looks fucking great. Like, he has this, like, angelic, Cuban, like, fake-looking face. He's so good-looking. He, like, he literally has a movie star face. Does that make any sense? No, no. He's a good-looking guy. So, he, I mean, even fat. He, he, I mean, I would say I, I would say he's lost weight, though. I mean, he looks bad. Oh, yes. No, no, he's no. He's not at weight. his top. He said that. Yeah, yeah. But he, and, he, and, you know, like, maybe he's, how would you, what would you say he weighs, 280? I mean, I can't tell. Some right. people hold it well. But his, but he's, but his, first of all, he has great fucking hair. I don't know how that's possible, but he has still great hair when half of his head is bald. But he has a great head of hair and he looks great. He looks like a movie star. It was really funny. And he's, and when he, like, not only is his laugh infectious, when he smiles, like, when, first of all, when he's not smiling, you get a little nervous because, you know, he's played criminals in movies. <laughs> you look at him like he, like, he literally, so when he's not smiling, you're a little uncomfortable. But then when he smiles, like, the whole room would just breaks into, you know, happiness. And I'm talking, like, when we were, when we were in the green room, and it was only, like, ten people there, and he wasn't smiling, just, like, thinking. I was, like, I was, like, uncomfortable. So I made him talk and made him laugh so he'd smile. So I just wanted to see him smile. I did not want to, like, like even as as old as he is and as heavy as he is, I would not want him to wail away at my face. You could tell that push comes to shove. He's been in some real bad spots and had to fucking fight his way out of it. Right or wrong? Would you feel that? Yeah, I wouldn't want him angry at me. I'd put that way. Yeah. Right. Like, he looks like he, you know, like he knows how to take a bottle crush right over your fucking head really fast, or just like, or like poke you in the fucking throat where you can't breathe and poke you in the eyes and you like, you know, break your nose through your brain. Like, he just looks like he knows that shit. You know, you know, I mean, years and years in prison, you know, he was in, I think, for almost four years. So that's not a fucking joke. I mean, that's no fucking joke. So, you know, and he's on the top of the world right now. He's got millions of Twitter followers, millions of Instagram followers. He's got almost 900,000 subscribers on his podcast. Like, how fucking big that is. I mean, that's a fucking monster. I mean, that's like double part of my take. That's a monster. And, and really, he's very kind and very generous and very giving. And that's good. And, you know, and for him to do the podcast, you know, the show in June is fantastic. People are going to buy seats. You know, we're going to whack up money, you know, and really, you know, he's the main guy. You know, I mean, I'm going to be doing it with him and we'll have equal billing. But, you know, like it's fucking Joey Diaz. It's pretty fucking cool. Longest yard, motherfucker. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's fuck. I mean, and his head is not going to fucking blow up, right? <laughs> not blow it up, but. I mean, that movie, his head fucking blew up. Big time, big time. So, um... You love... Listen, you love to spoil... Like, no one even knows if they didn't see the movie, but you, what, what's your deal? What, spoiling? Like, like why, do you, why, do you, why do you ask, like, someone, have you ever seen this movie? And then your go-to is the, the, the thing that ruins the movie. Why do you have to spoil things? Like Kaiser Sosa? Why do you do that? Like, why? Like, why usual suspects? Why, why, do you ruin it immediately? Like, what's your deal? I think he ruined his life more than I ruined the uh, movie. What? By, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Also. What was better, usual, usual Suspects or 
American Beauty. Those are two of the greatest movies ever, right? They're very good. Um, I mean, those are almost Quentin Tarantino-level movies, like Pulp Fiction-level movies, both of those movies. I go Usual Suspects above American Beauty, but they're both really good. And that betting was amazing. What a fucking bitch. I mean, what just the, I mean, that movie, you know, like, that movie is crazy. That was a great movie. He's a, he's a phenomenal actor. So again, why, why do you like ruining movies, just so we're clear? I don't, I just, I'm you so excited but you just to tell it. you the ending so we can talk about it. Yeah, but if, if you ask how I, so if you've ever seen this movie and then I say no, you need to ruin it. I guess because I'm a scumbag. You love it. I, I love ruining movies. That's why, like, it was Stu, I don't know if you know this, but... Stu likes making left turns, and what's your favorite thing to do when you make a left turn? Someone's in the passenger seat. Fart. What's your deal? I just want you to smell my fart. <laughs> like I feel like he strategically holds it in, wait for a left turn. He 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 might even make like Waze says turn right, but he's going left. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing better than blowing a fucking fart that smells like a sewer and blowing out the car. And I then mean, you act I, like well, you don't do it, and you you you, I laugh. Lie. you almost suffocate when you laugh too. I, I almost lie, and I almost choke on my own fart. But I'll say I never did it on purpose. My wife threw up several times. I used to close the windows, fart, and she would just fucking be punching me in the face while I'm driving. She didn't care if we died, just to, for me to open the window, and I would not do it. She had to smell my fart and almost choke. I think that's hysterical. I'm a big fart guy. Fart jokes, farting on people, making people smell my farts, rating other people's farts. You know, I'm saying, you know, what's people... Your, what's your scale slider system on the farts? Well, I mean, if you fart, right, and then you shit in your pants while you're farting, that's a 10. Like, people have done that. They've actually just held in the fart and then didn't realize they couldn't control themselves and then shit. Shout and it's out. called a shat. Shout out, Jerry. Shat in their pants, right. No, no, Jerry is just an embarrassment, <laughs> a pathetic human, you know. I mean, maybe because he did too much fucking drugs. I mean, that's not normal what he did. I mean, that's disgusting. I don't. I wanted to ask him questions like, what did you do after your shit? I would have literally gone into the bathroom, taken off all my fucking clothes, washed my ass in the sink, and then put fucking toilet paper and paper towels around my body, and then went to sit in my car. I what is that? Listen, listen, shit's listen. all over. I brought fucking, a shithole. No, no, no. I fucking respect that. I respect the fact. I don't know how. Listen, I need more details to the story. I don't know how he got home. How did he get home? What I did he sit? He sat in his car. He got an Uber. Listen, I have no no Ubers. I'm if you're if I'm an Uber listen, driver. He would have been sued. That's why he might <laughs> got of an Uber and didn't tell how he got. How'd you get home after you shit in your pants? You fucking jerk off. I know. I respect the move. That's why it's a phony story. No, 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 no. We saw this. We we saw the shorts. Well, we didn't see. We didn't see the. I want, listen. I there's need no the train. amount of. I want to see the stain on the seat of the train, or if he was standing up, it would have shit right all over his listen, shoes. I want to see to, his shoes. A lot the of hypothetical listen, situations. To me, are, it could be a phony story. Whether he drove his own car home, he got an Uber, or walked home. Right. Any one. I respect all three of those options because that's fucking psycho. Listen, that's unless, crazy. unless he's lying about his sobriety, which could happen because all all, what, what? all addicts are just liars like me. I'm an addict, so it takes <laughs> something on. But let's say he is sober. Let's say the bullshit he's putting out there, he's got X amount of years, okay? Um, and he's a man of God. So he, he might justify in his head this is content, and that's why he lied. Listen, because there's it was great content. No, so in other words, there was right, no exactly. holes. There was it's no holes. Content. The it's shorts, content. the shorts held. If there was holes, it would have been a really 
bad situation. There was how do you get home? Listen, don't what, know. What, how do you get home? I respect that. Listen, I've had a couple shit stories. Listen, I had to, I was on the Hampton Jitney one time at Foxwoods. Mm-hmm. Old bus. Yeah. Go over on the ferry. Ninety-five year olds packed to the brink, and they take the front seats. So I'm in the back. We pull up. The way it works is you get twenty-five comp dollars and twenty-five buffet. Everyone has to swipe their card. Ninety-five year olds move slow. Took an hour to get off the bus. I had the shit before I got off the bus. I tried to get off the bus. It took an hour. The bathroom is closed off. I don't know what happened. Renovations. Had to run across Foxwoods. Finally get to a bathroom. It's like a mile away. This is the biggest structure in the world. I don't know how Foxwoods ever built that casino. There's no way they've ever been profitable. It's the biggest establishment I've ever seen. I don't know. Listen, those reservations... They they got a good thing running because I don't need, they can't even keep the electric bill on. It's literally the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, finally make it to the bathroom, pull down my shorts and immediately shit everywhere. I mean, it looked like Jerry's pants, but I shit all over the stall. And I'll never forget the guy next to me who was taking a shit. Nice shoes. He made the the noises that like someone in a, a movie that's dying. You know, like he was gagging like. <gasps> Like the death noises, this guy, and now I'm cracking up. So I'm standing, squatting, shitting all over the place, and then this guy's making noises. So, so shout out Jerry. That brought some good memories. Shout out time. Jerry. Yeah. No matter what, Jerry, if it was fake, not fake. I would listen. I, I I think it was real. I'm not saying it's not real because my point is that he is absent and he is a man of God. He has to be honest. Otherwise, his sobriety would be non-existent and we know it is existent because listen it's one thing he's to shit using, your pants. he's not coming to work no no no. it's one thing to shit your pants it's another thing to there's no reason he didn't have to own up to it he could have just took a shower and true. went on his no, day no 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 true true i respect that true i respect it i was hysterical it was hysterical he's he's a good he's had that was a home run and then him not hedging the bet was a home run that was really high quality high content he goes back to back weeks was it back to back weeks yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he did great. Kill and him. then and then if you want to add a third home under row is him spending eight thousand on a one year old birthday money and having Portnoy read the fucking how it was broken down, how much Egyptation cost, how much the cupcakes cost, how much the food cost. Oh, I was dying. Oh man of my own heart, Jerry. A man of my own heart. If you're gonna throw a party, you might as well spend everything you got. And, and just throw it like you're going to die tomorrow. Basically, for a one-year-old, that's what you did. And you did a great job. You're a great father. I wish you were my father. That's the bottom line. I mean, my father in his life never spent 8000 on me because he was basically broke. He didn't have any money. But that's another story for another time. So we did uh, week two of Barstool Sports Advisors. Again, a great show. It was just really funny because Big Cat went 0-7, 0-7, 0-7. And he did this bit where he had uh, his neck broken, so he had a neck brace. He had his shirt open, so you saw his fat belly. And in character, the entire 30 minutes, including all the reads for the ads uh, with Duke Cannon, that's our sponsor, he did not break character, and he was suicidal, and he was a Debbie Downer, and he was depressed, and I loved it. And it was like vaudeville. Most people didn't like it because it brought down the show. But you need to look at it like you knew he was going to do that because he wanted to show how much the O and 7 hurt him. He said he's gone 0 and 7 before, but never in this early of a position in week one. And I think he came back in week two. He used a ton of games. He used like every game and every over under. So 
So he did win a little bit. So now he's on the board. So now I think instead of 0 and 7, he's like 6 and 11 or something. So that means, what did he go? 6 and 4, I think. And then uh, El Prez is 7 and 7. He was 2 and 5. So that means he went, uh, I guess, uh, 5 and 2 or something like that. Prez went right. 5 and 2. Right. Cat went five, 6 and 5. Right. Oh, 6 and 5. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So but, uh, uh, let's talk about the. And then, would, and then would again, you the only person on the show worth betting, worth watching. And, and again, these guys are content providers. These guys are entertainers. Uh, these guys are very accomplished in what they do. Big Cats might be the funniest man in the world and really the most knowledgeable on any sport, really. I mean, his knowledge is second to none. And El Perez runs a billion-dollar company, is a half-a-billion-dollar guy himself, started with nothing, knows, you know, I mean, he knows he doesn't know as much as Big Cat, knows 10 times more than me, but he knows players, he knows situations, he's lived it, he's grinded it out, you know. I've grinded it out for 41 years, he's grinded it out for 21 years, every night, betting, 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 and... Uh, he told a couple of hysterical funny stories about how he lost 150000 on the Cowboys. And then he lost another 145000 as his plane landed in Newark. And he drove to the office and on his telephone, he lost 25 straight hands of blackjack. And lost like a quarter of a million bucks or 150000 So he was stuck almost 400000 just on the Cowboy loss Sunday night. And on playing blackjack, so he was not in a good mood. So it that's, was in that's a, just if we're keeping track. That's nineteen one-year-old birthday parties. <laughs> <laughs> and for all we know, uh, this year nineteen Dave Portnoy's might have been born. We we don't know that for a fact. We're not exactly sure. But is it out of the realm? Absolutely not. Uh, God only knows how I many. He says he has no children. He says he's impotent. He does not think he could bore a child. He doesn't think his semen or sperm uh, is alive. And that's been the running joke for the last, let's say, 20 years. Because, you know, when you fuck a thousand women and not one has ever sued you for uh, being the father, you know something's up. I mean, <laughs> something literally fucks me up. It, you know, like, think about what I'm saying here, right? I mean, can you imagine him putting on a bag while he's putting a chain around you and spitting down your throat? No, I don't think so. You know, that's the last fucking thing he's doing. So he's probably accurate in his assessment. Him and KFC, I heard speak once and they were guaranteeing that his sperm is as dead as the, you know, as a doornail, you know. So that's really that in the bottom line. But uh, what was I talking about that I even got into this with the sperm? You're talking about him landing in Newark, losing oh, in blackjack. So in other words, it's just, uh, he's, listen, he's one funny guy. Like, in reality, like, he doesn't tell jokes no more. Literally, he's not funny. Like, he's, he literally, if he told a joke, he'd bomb. But his life is Larger than life. Like, if you think about, like, him losing hundreds of thousands a week gambling, you know, he's coming into hundreds of millions of dollars in February again. I think, now, what what year is this? This is three or five years, so he can't sell his stock yet. Like, in five years, he's going to be able to, so, and it's been three years already, 2019, January, 21, 22, right. So, he has to hold the stock for five years, and he's allowed to sell everything where, you know, he'll be liquid in two more years. And the new money he's getting, I think, is liquid immediately. That's cash, cash, cash. So he'll be solvent for almost a half a billion bucks. And that's if the stock doesn't make a run up. And even though the stock is at 30, and you read everything else, DraftKings is dead. They are not making money. FanDuel is dead. They're not making money. They're spending gazillion dollars on advertising. 
Penn Gaming, you know, like still made uh like a still made a billion bucks uh in be with the stock going from 140 to 30. Still made a ton of money. Ton of money. So uh they're a very solid company. So Dave Portnoy has to worry about the bulls. He has a storybook life. No one's ever done what he's done. No one will ever do it again, matter of fact. And uh he's just killing it. So the show was Dave complaining about how much money he lost and how people are coming after him instead of losing a quarter of a million, should have given it to charity. And then we had a little funny skit where we were like, fuck you. He raised 50 million for small businesses, you know, fuck you. And really for him to lose a couple of hundred thousand in a week is equivalent to someone losing a couple of hundred. You know what I mean? He makes a hundred times more than you. So that's pretty much, you know, how it's going to work out. Uh, so it was really funny. And uh, I went three and two back-to-back weeks. Uh, again, I won my mortal lock for the second week in a row. Uh, first week, it was the Bears outright, which was a great, 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 great call. And this call was just as good. Jacksonville 24 nothing. Can't bet an easier game than that, you know, getting points uh, at home. And we shut out the opposing team and we put up 24 points. And uh, for the second week in a row, went 3-0 and on the Barstool Special. So that was a lot of fun. You know, winning is a lot of fun, and I'm just happy that I'm doing well on the show. And that's really Listen, my winning, Winning's one thing, but 3-0 and is, that's hard to do. Back-to-back 3-0s. Back-to-back, yeah. Yeah, we had 49s, we had Falcons, we had Under Giants, Panthers. And it was great because Under Giants, Panthers was against Big Cat's best bet of Over, over Giants, Panthers. So obviously, he lost, and now he's 0-2 on Mortal Locks. And my best bet of the week, which was the uh, the Jets, which was against El Prez's best bet, which he had the Browns. He wore the Browns helmet, humiliated himself, embarrassed himself. And then the uh, Jets went outright. So that was even better. And now so, we need to talk about, we need to talk about this. What? Season, well, it was 2018. Yes. So we had 100K on Rams minus the seven and a half. Okay, and do you remember they were playing the Packers? This was one of your multi- Wish death upon player games. Oh, where the running where Gurley Gurley didn't go in. Gurley and, didn't go in. All right, he didn't and he go stopped. in. And, and well, listen, it's the right football play. <clears throat> right? right, you win the game. Correct. But I mean, like when we need seven and a half, and you have the touchdown, you have the end zone. We need him to do it. And a you good fucking job. fall down. I mean, listen, you're you, it's the smart play, but you're a scumbag. All right, and now shout out to Nick Chubb because. I mean, what a fucking idiot. Thank I mean, you. listen, I love you, right. but oh, Nick Chubb, that was your you are a fucking idiot. Moron. I mean, just listen. Listen, you fans, just but, but look, you, all the Browns fans hate you right now, okay? <laughs> they should, we love you! They should hate Stefanski. They should hate their defense. They should hate all of the factors why they can't get an onside kick and why they also give up another touchdown because they're fucking horrible. But Nick Chubb, we fucking love we you. We love you. All right? Not only do we love you, all the fantasy owners that you scored for love you. Love all you. Right? So all of the Jet fans as well love you. Love right? you. So there's more people that love you than hate you. Absolutely. Nick what, Chubb, you're a legend. Listen. What legend. A, Stu, find a legend. What a fucking score. What I a mean, dodo bird. Listen. And shout out to the extra point that we didn't even catch. So, <laughs> so look. We didn't even know they missed we're the pulling extra in, point. We're pulling in plus six and a half. So <laughs> you have to put this in perspective. When you're plus six and a half, you're down seven, and they score a touchdown. You're we just even, we, you're, you're thinking about were, our heads were in our laps. No, no, no. You just think about bad situations. <laughs> you think about stuff you did wrong in third grade. Oh, you just everything that's horrible comes back. We miss the extra point, so we don't even know what's going on. We don't know we're down thirteen. We th- we're down fourteen. So when they scored, we didn't even think it mattered. All of a sudden, I turned to Alex and I go, 
Alex, we just won. we thought we thought they we added the won. extra point. <laughs> Wrong. They thought, we thought they deducted like, Alex, the Browns. We just score. won. No, no, we we thought there was a mistake on the score. When Nick Chubb scored, we went into a coma because we assumed fourteen down, dead. And listen, when you bet fourteen down, dead. You listen when you bet, you never get those games. So this is one of those games where we would have the Browns in this situation, and we would be on easy street up thirteen, and should be fourteen. But, I mean, like, the way they lost outright is just icing on the cake. I mean, we don't care. After that touchdown, we're up six. We're rooting for the Browns to get the ball because the only way we could lose is a, a lateral back, way, right? you, know, f- you know, keep throwing it back in the end zone and we get fucked. But, I mean, Nick Chubb just, I mean, thank you. you thank know? you. Shout out to Nick Chubb. and Shout, shout out, out, Nick. Listen, that's one of the greatest touchdown scores ever. So, basically, what I'm trying to say is he made up for Gurley's mistake. So it's 100K in 2018. But those comes around. That's your point. Correct. We win. That's your point. Yeah, El Prez wrote him off too because he had a monster bet. Listen. He had a monster bet on the Rams. That was a... That day. That was a great show. It was 2019 or 18? 18. 18. 18. Versus the Packers too because we hate Aaron Rodgers and he fucks us in every way possible. Yes. But his interview with Caleb was hysterical. That was good. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. And, and and listen, Aaron Rodgers is great too. He knows how to just come right back. But Caleb had some one liners that were that were brilliant. Again, rehearsed. He knew. He's a pro. He did his homework. You know, that was great. That was great. That was a lot of fun. So the Sports Advisor show, uh, we filmed tomorrow. Um Season five, episode three. So I'm excited. I'm excited. To, you know, I'm, I'm a coming in winning. So that's always good because you got to battle with these guys. And Dave is tough and he has a lot of pride. You know him. He doesn't like to lose that. Nothing. And Big Cat too. Even though he makes a joke of it, he has a lot of pride. So it's a great show. It's a lot of fun. So we're just ready to roll and uh, really excited about it. And now, you know, like it looks like Buffalo is going to win a Super Bowl. I just want to talk about that for a second. Uh both sides of the ball, they look unbeatable. I mean, both sides of the ball, they look just phenomenal. And with a running quarterback and a great offense and a great defense, you know, and great special teams and a great coach, and it looks like destiny, and they're playing with a chip on their shoulders because they should have beat Kansas City and probably could have won the Super Bowl last year. Um, they're a dangerous team. You know, right now, early heads heads and tails above any team in the NFL. Uh Maybe besides the Chiefs, where the Chiefs have been playing amazing too. So, two best teams in the NFL right now is Buffalo and then Kansas City. Right, Alex? Would you say that's that's how it's going? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't even know how you game plan against Josh Allen. Because, first of all, he could truck linebackers. I mean, he embraces getting hit. I mean, he's a sick fuck. And, I mean, they don't care. In week one, he, you know, that game was won ten times over, and he's just putting his shoulder into linebackers. I mean, they're not trying to protect them. They're not. They're really putting their foot on people's necks, and they don't stop. So, especially he's like Lamar Jackson, except he can throw, and he throws just as good as Mahomes. If you know, when he flings, like he has these plays where he's running in the pocket, just casually flings it 45, 50 yards, like it's nothing. Nothing. I mean, it's. I don't. I don't even know how you're supposed to beat them, especially when their front is just so solid. And on defense, they just get to the quarterback. I mean, they sacked Stafford what seven times. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't know how you're going to stop them, barring them staying healthy. You know, 
Right, they're going to have to make a mistake because they can score almost every. They almost I mean, listen, punt. Let's for uh, if and the defense turns you over quick. It, they they scored. They beat Mahomes thirteen seconds is the only reason they didn't win a Super Bowl because I I, I mean like that's that's the God's honest truth. So I don't know. It's a tough fucking team. Right. So right now Buffalo and uh, college. We haven't really seen Georgia play besides that one game where they didn't almost allow a first down. Uh, we saw Oklahoma play. Oklahoma looks unbelievable. This is the best they've looked on defense. Their defense, like they usually score fifty points. Right, they could always score. They're a scary team. I they underestimated look, them. They're very scary. Listen, Oklahoma might be Oklahoma and Georgia probably the two best teams I've seen. Because Bama's looked. I mean, Bama should have lost. The Bama looks like Bama does certain times. They haven't. They haven't. They didn't look. They, they don't look better than Oklahoma, and they don't look better than Georgia. Legit. No, Georgia. Georgia. I Who's mean, number two? Georgia. Oh, Georgia's one. Bama's two. Who's three, four? Because Oklahoma, I think, is six. USC seven. USC obviously has looked great. Who's in the middle? Clemson. Pulling up the rankings. Clemson has to be in the middle. And you said you like TCU. You think Ohio TCU. State's three right now? Oh, Ohio State's Michigan's three, right. four. Clemson's Michigan's four. five. Clemson's five. Okay. And then USC seven. Okay. Who, Who's six? Oklahoma. Oklahoma 6, okay. And then we got Kentucky, Oak State, Arkansas. Yeah. That's a tough time. Uh, Kentucky's dangerous, too, because they got a pro quarterback. I mean, he's a pro quarterback. He's going to be a pro. He's great. But uh, so basically a quick overview there. I mean, Mets make the playoffs for the first time uh, since 2015. Scherzer comes back from injury, pitches six perfect innings like it was a joke, struck out a gazillion, didn't allow a hit, didn't allow a run, uh, didn't allow a walk. And then comes out of the game. Mets going you know, to win the game, I think, 7-2. Um, Mets are going to be dangerous with DeGrom and Scherzer. They could beat anybody, any day, any time. Doesn't matter the lineup because you're not going to score off of them. And Scherzer seems laser-focused. I mean, right now, be honest with you, I think, if I, I think Scherzer is better than DeGrom right this second. What do you think? Um, I mean, it's hard to argue after last night, so... I mean, how do you come in and throw six perfect against the Brewers who need the game for their lives that just embarrassed the Yankees, beat them two of three or three of four, though they beat them Friday, Saturday, more Sunday. But even in the loss, they scored eight runs. I mean, so they shredded the Yankees pitching, and now all of a sudden Scherzer comes in and makes them look like they're a bum. You know? I can't trust a guy with two different eye colors. So you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Something about that. It was funny because I was on the I was on the radio today with uh, Craig was making fun of the Mets because Matt Scherzer won uh, Max won his 200th game and all the Mets combined and bought a, a, a bottle of Ace of Spades. So Craig looked up how much Ace of Spades is and it's twelve hundred dollars a bottle. Love Ace of Spades. It's delicious. Absolutely delicious. So they bought him like a twelve hundred dollar bottle and Craig was saying that the Mets are cheap. They're cheapos. They're cheapies. You know, spend twenty five, fifty thousand. You got thirty, forty million dollar pitchers in the room, or thirty million dollar pitchers. You got twenty million dollar players. You got you know Lindor's three hundred million dollar guy. Um, you know, spend some money. And do you, do you uh, he, think they even spent money? Is the question? No, so no. Because you could get that for free, right? Right. Like they, uh, who knows exactly? Was that sitting in a shelf somewhere? Maybe. Maybe it was given to someone in Correct. the past. Do you think and, they, and yeah, right. It they was probably a gift? gift of a gift. Wow. Right. It's a secondhand gift. So I call into the station and my contention is first of all, obviously, Craig's running a bit, because we all know the real reason. Doesn't matter if he has 200 uh wins, doesn't matter if Pete Alonso has 50 homers, 
Doesn't matter if Lindor breaks the shortstop's all-time net record for RBIs and home runs and uh, anything. They have to win the World Series. It's World Series or bust. It's not getting to the World Series. The Mets are World Series and bust. That's Steve Cohen's uh, mantra. Uh, they have the highest payroll for the first time in forever. Like, I don't even know if that ever happened. The Mets having the highest payroll. But they do. So, in other words, they're supposed to win. So, there's no baloney about it. So, really, the reason they didn't care about Scherzer and didn't go for some elaborate, super-duper gift is, first of all, he's only been in the team this year, and he's an assassin. Only has a one-year contract, like $43 million. But number two, I put out there, and I believe it, that people don't like Max Scherzer. He's an unlikable guy. Now, his value to the Mets is invaluable. He's like a second coach. He's taught the pitching staff how to have a curveball, and you throw the curveball as your first pitch of the game rather than the fastball, and even DeGrom has done it, and it's worked out amazingly. There's no two ways about it. So, um, I got to interrupt you real quick. Yes. I I was nine years old when I found out that toys wasn't a word. What does that mean? You say toys, you mean two ways. I've thought that whenever you say it, it sounds like a a blend of one word. And I I was nine when I found out that toys was not a word. All right. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So two ways, if you're wondering what's two, it's two ways. No two ways about it. Toys. Ways. Two ways, but I'll say twice. See? That's it. All right. It's like a twang. It's That's a it. Long Island twang. It's a Stu Farnett twang. It's Figured a euphemism of me. It's like it's like those uh, little little keywords. Like, okay, you know, thank you. Thank you for helping the, the viewers. Right. Out. Thank you for the Venn diagram over the podcast to the listeners. There you go. Thank you. I appreciate that. What was Not, I talking about? Nine now? years old. Oh, so anyway. So Max Scherzer obviously is invaluable in, in the locker room, on the field, as an individual. He's worth every bit of $43 million, Okay. But I hate Max Scherzer. What do you think? I hate Max Scherzer. But why? I watched Mac Scher- Max Scherzer. It's because you're a Mets fan. Pitched a no-hitter against the Mets. Is like 100-0 at City Field, at Chase Stadium. I, he's never lost. He's never lost to them. I don't think he's ever lost a game but in his life. But that's why. It's because he's So now here. that he's on the Mets, hey, we need him. Just like when Clemens came to the Yankees. And I was a, like a bandwagon Yankee fan. Love the Yankees. And I, I hated Clemens. I wanted him to die. Mets, you know, I hate Clemens. But Mets, once Mets what, beat him in 1986. He was in the Red Sox dugout as a rookie, and he was on the Blue Jays, and he was on the Red Sox, and I hated him. But once he came in the Yankees, we needed him because, like people say, you didn't really need him because they already run the World Series. That's not true. He was the best pitcher on the best team. He was unhittable. He was a steroid psycho. He was a fighter. He had a lot of energy and a lot of nastiness and, you know, you wanted him pitching the game. He started, you know, started the World Series and or pitch game two in the World Series, excuse me, uh, at Yankee Stadium. And, you know, he was a monster, but I hated him. And so did Yankee fans, still hate him. I think that's the way we're going to look at Max Scherzer. I think most Met fans hate Scherzer, but they love him only because he's one of us now, but he's not really one of us. He's hired. That, so my question is, once you win the ring, is the hatred gone? No, I hate him. No matter what, no so matter Roger what, listen, Clemens, I want to pitch in one game one, game four, game seven in any championship uh, series, whether it's the World Series or the National League Championship. He's better than Jacob DeGrom right now, splitting hairs, but I have more confidence than, in him because he's already won a ring. He's already won the ring. Jacob still hasn't. 
And if Jacob gets the start over him and they favor Jacob, I'm not going to say shit because Jacob can't perform. But Max right now is the number one pitcher in Major League Baseball, and he's the number one player on the Mets. So uh, I have no choice but to marry the devil. I made a deal with the devil. We took Max Scherzer. We're going to win the World Series, but I hate the fucking guy. I hate him forever. He beat the Mets too many times to me just to be like, oh, now he's on my team. That does, doesn't work. I watched him win the World Series, and I had the Astros against them. And uh, I don't like him. I didn't like him as a, uh, a national. I thought he was arrogant. I thought he was condescending. I thought he was dicky. I thought he thinks that he's smarter than everyone else. I'd like to just punch him in his fucking face. He could kick my ass. I'm not saying that I'm stronger than him because I'm not. And I love the Mets. I'm a diehard Met fan. And I've gone to thousands of Met games and I was a season ticket holder. And I've spent literally probably $2 million on Met tickets. I like to sit when they're great. And when they're not great at any game, I go to first row, you know, four seats, of course, to be between 2,000 to 6,000 per game. You know, then I take a limo, then I take other people, then I buy $1,000 of merchandise. So don't talk to me about money. There's nobody that spends more money like a drunken sailor at a Met game than me and in my life at Met games than me. But the point is, I hate Max Scherzer, and I think deep down, Met fans hate him too. So you think it's a majority of Mets fans? I think so. But Evan Roberts, I was on with him today as, as convoluted as this conversation started. That's how I started uh, the rant on, on Max Scherzer. Uh, and me and Evan got into a blow boy boat. Now, Evan likes me. He respects me. He likes me. Craig loves me. I'm his boy. You know, Evan's not our type. He's a goody shoes, you know, very nice, very, you know, respectful type guy. Where me and Craig are in the gutter, we'll do anything, we'll go to any length for a shock value. Evan will never do that. It's beneath him. And Craig and me will do whatever it takes, anytime we want, you know, and that's just how we roll. So I get a shouting match with Evan because Evan disagrees with me. Evan pointed out the attributes of Max Scherzer to the Mets, which of course that wasn't my that wasn't my argument. Of course, I understand how valuable he is, his second manager. Guy's brilliant. My point is I hate him. And that's just really the bottom line. What would it take to like him? That's my question. Nothing. So you'll never like I him. I will like him when he, I hear that he's dead. <laughs> I, like, I wouldn't mind going to his funeral. Like, but, but I can't He listen. has to win the World listen, Series I don't care if Sandy dies. leaves me. I don't care if Alex never talks to me again. I don't care if they change the locks. When Michael Jordan dies, I'm at that motherfucking funeral just like it was fucking uh, Queen Elizabeth. Every day I'm in front of the house. I'm in, I hope I hope it's an I hope it's like an open cask. I'm a spit right in his fucking right in his fucking face. I hate him. He broke my heart. I'm a true Nick fan. I fucking hate you, Michael Jordan. I don't kiss your ass. I hate you. You killed us. You, we could have won three championships and you stood in our way. That's the bottom line. So that's the way I feel about Max Scherzer. So is Michael Jordan number one? Oh, no issue. I hate him more than any athlete ever times a thousand. There's not, there's no, like Mike Sosha, uh, that used to be the Angels manager, used to be the uh, LA Dodgers manager and the Dodgers catcher. I hated him because he hit a home run in the bottom of the eighth off uh, Dwight Gooden and then uh, off Jesse Orozco in another game. He killed us. I hated him too. He's my number two. Uh, Mike Sosha is number two, but Michael Jordan is one through 20. I hate Michael Jordan. He, he murdered me for five years. You know, we had a great team in New York. Then we got Pat Riley as the coach and we were loaded. We had, we had everybody and uh, we couldn't beat Michael Jordan. No one else could either, mind you, but we were the closest to beating them every single year out of the East. So, 
What about the camera story with Michael Jordan? Oh, when I went to see him in New Jersey, uh, when he came back, and I went to the camera, I didn't. I would have never told the story. I went. I was spent like eight hundred on a camera at the time, where it was like a twenty thousand dollar camera. And he shows me what to do, and I go there and I take all these amazing pictures, and not one of them came out. Not one. I don't know what I did. Every time I changed the film, it was wrong. I just kept taking the film, and I took the film and opened it and exposed all the pictures. You know, I'm one of the all-time worst uh, camera takers. Like, I'm good if the camera's idiot-proof. Well, anyone is for that matter. And I think, you know, I pride myself on taking a great picture with an idiot-proof camera. But it was one of the most embarrassing things. Where, weren't the lids on? I think maybe the lens, the lid was on or the lens was on the whole time, and that's why I couldn't do it. It was like something... Like on a scale of one to 10 humiliation, 10 being the worst ever, this was an 11. Like I came home, my family just laughed hysterically in my face, like how incompetent and I bought a beautiful camera. This is how, what, what is this? Like the 92, 97? I was born in 91. So, so this was probably 90, 97. So you were probably six. Hold on. Matt checks out. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you were seven. Maybe you were five. But, um, okay, so basically, so that's what we got going on right now. It's the fall. It's beautiful. The pool's still open, 88 degrees, swam today, uh, did 10.8 miles, uh, waited at 187.2, which I went from 187.8. It's uh, week 12 of my 52-week transformation. And to get to like 158, 160, I'm going to need all 52 weeks because, you know, now I'm going to start losing a half a pound a week. My exercise is not going to be 40, 50 miles. It's going to be more like 30 miles, maybe 40 miles. I'm going to uh, put weights into my program, which I have not done. And every day I say I'm going to do it. And every day I pick up the weights and look at the weights. But I'm actually, when I come on the podcast next week, you're going to hear that I did a solid workout every day. And Alex will be uh, witness to that, bear witness to that. So we're going to start uh, Thursday. Thursday with the weights off, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesday before I see you. I'm going to do weights every day. Really, it's going to be the Steve Mahalik uh, high reps um, and very quickly done and about 20 minutes. 20 minutes is all I need. That's it. And maybe 30 minutes at the beginning because I'm just not ready. And then I'm going to do Steve Mahalik workout with the free weights. Then I'm going to do my Gravitron. And then I'm going to do my bench press and call it a day. And I still to this day cannot do sit-ups uh, because my groin pulls immediately on the on that stomach machine. You know, since I hurt my groin, I haven't really been able to do the stomach machine. Like I can do it isometrically where I can do a sit-up super slow, grind it out, bend it up. And that's good because I have strong definition, but not, not sit-ups like I used to. You know, I got that I got that stomach machine probably in 1984. Think of how fucking long that is. 1984. Most of you weren't born yet. You know what I'm saying? I probably fucked some of your mothers and grandmothers before 1984. So this stomach machine, I would do 500 to 1,000 sit-ups. And it just was invaluable. My stomach was like, you know, hard as a rock. Uh, but I can't do it anymore because of my groin. So the things I will do will be the Gravitron and the uh, chest uh, doing... Uh, bench presses, and then I'll do the free weights with the Steve Mahalik workout. So, and, I, and again, the muscle will be built so my body at rest will burn calories because I need to make up for the amount of calories that I'm not going to be burning due to, I won't be able to do the, the uh, 
length of the exercise because I just don't have the time and it's just too damn hard right now. I'm too stressed out. You know, I'm not taking naps during the day no more. And I, you know, even if I go to sleep early, it's not early. And then certain, I'm waking up at one, two in the morning, reposting, staying up, you know, blah, 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 blah. So uh, weight's going to come. And I feel great. I mean, my point is I've never, like, this is the thinnest I've ever done Boston Sports Advisors. The year before we did Boston Sports Advisors, I ran the marathon. I got down to 174. And then I went back to 195. And I ran the marathon at 185. But really, I immediately gained like seven, eight pounds afterwards. So it was 193. So by the time I did Barstool Sports Advisors, the thinnest I was was 199. So I'm 12 pounds less than I ever was. So that's good. So I look very good. My suits are big on me. So that's good. Uh, but now I'm going to turn it up a little bit because I want to be 158, 160. I want to look like I'm 40 years old. I want you know my body to be chiseled. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do liposuction. Do you think I should do liposuction, Alex? No. Okay. Do you think I should take that, uh, that uh, they have these like uh, ice cubes and you rub them on your fat and it like solidifies the fat and it decreases the fat cells? Do you think I should do that? Did you just make that up? No, I swear to God, that's a thing. You take ice cubes? It's some sort of freezing method. Like where did you see this? Yeah, listen, Google it right now. Wait, wait, was this like one of those fake No, ads? no, 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 no. You know, one of our customers that's a chiropractor that does it as a side thing and it overtook his chiropractor business. So that's all he does listen, right now. I'm going to be honest with you. Not, not to offend any chiropractors out there, but like they're not real doctors, you know. No, but they are real chiropractors. I mean, yeah. Well, they're so like if I had, a, if, if I had like a neck twinge, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I'll, I'll go take that device. I'm not trying to. Yeah. Well, I don't even go to a chiropractor anymore. I'll go right to the girl that does my nails. Then you got like five Chinese girls running around, like massaging my arms. Like three people are on me at the same time. One girl's doing my nails. One girl's uh, massaging my uh, my arms. And then another person's massaging my back. All three. So are you saying time. that the nail salon is better than the chiropractor? That's a fact. <laughs> it's not even close. Of course, when I leave the chiropractor, I still got to do my nails. When I leave that place, I don't have to go to the chiropractor, and I don't have to do my nails. So efficiency. Exactly. Knocking two birds. Two birds with one stone. Yeah, no, exactly. Can't, cannot okay. have said it better. That's fair. So I'm feeling very good, Alex Joseph. And, so yeah, uh, back to the ice. No, I don't even think that's real. That's not a real no, thing? I, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm not even going to Google it. I'm going to Google it. You could Google it. There's something for anything. You know what I'm saying? There's people who, like, put herbs in a pot, and, you know, it's supposed to fucking help you. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going to dignify that with a fucking Google search. I'm just not doing it. Okay. Ice to get rid This is wild too. Fat. What people don't know this is every day right here. The Google searches. It's called fat freezing treatment say goodbye to fat. Yeah, sure. Fat freezing in Oyster Bay, New York. Here. Now look, it says freeze okay, here we go. Freeze away it's called a new alternative to cool sculpting on Long Island. This is what it is. It's called, uh, no, I don't want this. I want to close this now. I don't want to chat with you. Okay. It's called Cryo T-Shock, costs less, has fewer side effects, and can be used on any area of the body. Eliminates fat cells, smooths away cellulite, tightens skin. So that's what I'm talking about, Alex. Because once I lose the weight, folks, I have some flab. There's no two ways about it. Like, it's like a balloon. I've stretched my body, and when the balloon decreases, there's excess balloon. Well, on my stomach, Alex, I have excess balloon. Who are you trying to impress? Um, well, if I, only do, if I, if I do only fans, I want to look great. And 
if I look great, people will fucking pay. That's the bottom line. I think they'll pay for the flab. Think so. I want to see the flab now. I don't want to see no flab. I want to. I want to look like I'm 35 years old, 30 years old. And if you have a flat stomach and I have a gorgeous face, and uh, you know, if you like men under five, four, and three quarters, I'm the cat's meow. That's all I can say. You're the cat's meow. I'm the cat. Cat's meow. I'm, it's that big cat. It's not Dave spitting in my mouth, putting on a chain on me. It's too fine a baby. So this is a real thing. It's called cool sculpting. We're not endorsing any of this. Though. I'm not, you know. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say I was endorsing. I don't even know if that's real. There's a Google search for anything. If it works, it works. But 50-50. I'm giving that actually. That's not even 50-50. That's like a 14% chance that's real. Um, do you think Aaron Judge is going to break the record this week? Will he hit one homer? Two? Three. So to, to break it. Break yes. It, break everything. He has to play the Pirates twice, then he's off, and then he plays the Red Sox. Well, the, the Red Sox have a, a, a real good policy of just throwing him meatball, so that will probably happen in that series. Yeah. And then what they were talking about on TV is that no one's going to see it. You're going to have to see it on Apple TV, and you're going to have to have foreign announcers. Why foreign announcers? Well, oh, not not like the broadcast. One. Well, definitely not the broadcast, but announcers that are subpar, that are arguably some of the worst you've ever heard in your life. Like how Apple TV spent billions of dollars and got bozos. Like how aren't you going to put? Well, look, look. I think it's a, I think it should happen on an Apple TV broadcast. Why? Because they're the only reason he's hitting this. Because they're the only reason that a lockout ended. So if it wasn't for them in the first place, he would have never hit this fucking. 60x amount of homers. He wouldn't have done it. Touche. So they deserve it. Excellent point. So that's a- Shout out Apple. Shout out It'll Apple. be an honor that uh, Aaron Judge hits three in one game and breaks the record, ties the record, breaks the record. All three in one. Apple. Shout out Apple. <laughs> Apple is responsible for Major League Baseball and furthermore will be responsible once the Mets win the World Series. Is that what you're saying? I, I mean, like, no. That's no, no, no. Saying. Not that the Mets are going to win the World Series, but Apple will be responsible. That's correct, yeah. Okay. Whatever happens in this season. They're Shout out Apple. Perfect. Apple is the hero. Not Steve Cohen. Not Max Scherzer, who I hate. Not Jacob deGrom. Not Pete Alonso. Not Francisco Lindor. Francisco loves us. We love Francisco. We love Francisco. Yeah. Shout out Francisco. Shout out your family. Shout out your wife. I love her. I love your family. I love you. <laughs> Shout out, Pete Alonzo. I love you, Ike. So, uh, all right, that's it. We're wrapping up uh, podcast three, episode three, whatever you want to call it, three in the books. Uh, Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Leave a review, please. Can you please leave a review? Take five seconds. How many family members you got? You take their phone. Yeah, exactly. Come on, spit this out. Push it. Stu Nation, you're the reason that this podcast will be great and get a lot of followers. Uh, You know I'm great. Spread the word. I love you. I'm nothing without you. God bless you. Have a great day. Ready to roll. Ready to roll. Ready to roll.